Welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Have I got a story for you today. Today's topic is, is about salvation. And you might think that among Christians, salvation would be a very agreed upon subject, <laughs> but you would be extremely wrong. It turns out that how people get saved is is a very contentious topic and in fact many wars have been fought over it so today's uh, title is saved by grace so that gives you an, an idea of my beliefs on how people get salvation so but even that is not clear enough because there are a lot of people who say that they believe in grace, but then when you really start discussing it, you find out that they're actually legalists and maybe you're a legalist and you don't even know it. So before we get into the details, I, I just want to give you a, a little background on why I'm talking about this subject. And I actually wrote this all out so I will stay on topic. So I'm going to read it. I hope it doesn't sound too much like I'm reading it. So recently I asked a friend of mine who is a practicing Catholic what he believes about salvation. I'm not Catholic but I have quite a few Catholic friends and that's online. And it's also in, in real life, people that I, I talk to on a regular basis. Um, I, I'm guessing this is because the Catholics that I know um, have traditional values such as family, faith, the value of human life and patriotism. They care about people and their, their religion is central to their lives. They believe in personal freedom and responsibility, and they tend to be hardworking, generous, loyal, and conservative. Uh, my friend told me what he believes about salvation. He wrote it in an email and I wrote back and told him what, that I would share why I believe differently from him and that I believe that we are saved by faith alone because he, he doesn't, he, he stated that he thinks that, um, that's only part of it, that you also have to do good works and go to the Catholic church and confess and do other things. So before I share what I believe, I would like to give a little personal history. And if you're, if you don't want to hear this, you can go to my blog and you can just read part two of the blog. <laughs> but if you're listening to the podcast, you're going to get to hear why I, how I discovered the doctrines of grace. So I was raised in a Southern Baptist environment. I would say that most of the people I knew were Baptist, including my parents and my relatives. 
But despite many years of going to church and reading my Bible and going to Sunday school and going to, you know, extra stuff at church, I had never really studied theological differences between denominations. I had picked up a few ideas about other religions, such as that the Hare Krishnas and the Scientologists were definitely cults, and the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses were kind of cultish as well. I didn't really know much about what they believed. Um, I knew that the Jews believed in God, but not Jesus. And I knew that Pentecostals were kind of famous for speaking in tongues and maybe um, shouting and fainting during church. And I knew that Methodists sometimes had female preachers and that Baptists did not. I also knew that Catholics uh, were known for having large families because they did not believe in birth control, that they were leaders in the uh, pro-life movement, and that they had a pope. I, I had, you know, I picked up a few tidbits about Catholics and some anti-Catholic sentiment, but no one I knew in as, you know, growing up really ever talked about Catholics. Like, it's just, we just didn't talk about it. And I had never really made it a point to study, you know, comparative religion uh, in college or anything like that. Um, because I, I guess I kind of was afraid that I would just get confused. You know, when I, when I would start to read, um, different things about other religions, my own, um, understanding of what I believed was so, was so immature that I felt like I was like going into dangerous territory. Like if I studied that, was I going to lose my faith? So I just avoided it. Instead, I watched a lot of preachers and um, I listened to the radio, preachers on the radio. And these were the preachers that said things that agreed with what I was taught in church. And so I just thought that that's, you know, this is what Christianity was. I didn't know that there were other, other, um, other beliefs out there. And, and I really didn't know anything about like Episcopalians or Presbyterians or Anglicans and that, you know, those were words really meant nothing to me. So I have, you know, just revealed how clueless I was, but that was just how I was. I was kind of in my own little world and, you know, that's kind of how it is for a lot of people. We, we just have our little uh, limited viewpoints and we don't look outside it. But the internet changed all that, right? We were, a, we were all just like bombarded with information uh, starting around, you know, the late 90s. And that was when I started meeting other Christians online and finding out that, that they had some different beliefs. And I was like, you know, kind of learning these things. And then 
I was, uh, I started learning it at my own church. I was attending a, a Baptist church at that time. And okay, see, I'm starting to wing it. I'm just winging it here instead of reading what I actually wrote. <laughs> so let me go back to the blog. Um, approximately 12 or 13 years ago, I was introduced to Reformed theology. I think my enlightenment began, enlightenment began with Bodie Bauckham and continued with Matt Chandler, David Platt, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, and all the cool kids of those days when being reformed was as hot in the Christian world as deconstructing is now, sadly. Which, you know, there's always a swing. The pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth. I want to be in the middle. I don't want to be extreme. But anyway, I was instantly intrigued by the concept of being reformed as I often did not feel like I was a good enough Christian. So when I found out about being saved by grace rather than works, I was sold. I even changed my Facebook name to Save by Grace. But that's getting ahead of the story. So how did this, let's just go back a little bit further. In January 2003, we left Houston and moved to Cat Spring. I then had a baby in September of 2003. That was Jimmy. And then I had Eli in April 2005. So I was really busy taking care of two babies, plus taking care of Grace because she was having a lot of seizures and pneumonias and everything. And I was still homeschooling um, my three older boys. And we were having a lot of financial problems because of the, uh, you know, we were in the recession. So going to church, it we, we were trying to go to church and we visited different churches and we settled on the Baptist church in Belleville, but we weren't super regular right off the bat. But finally things settled down and we started going to church regularly. And I guess the economy also settled down and that's when there was this like revival or uh, a trend called new Calvinism or the, the new reformed movement. And there was Acts 29 and um, all these different reformed uh, preachers suddenly became very popular. And our church had a youth pastor who was in that age group. And he was, he was very into reformed theology, but I didn't know that. I didn't even know what reformed theology was, but I, I decided, okay, I was starting to step out in faith at that time. My faith was growing. God was growing me. I was growing up <laughs> and I started volunteering and doing more things at church. Um, and part of that was I I went to church uh, youth camp in the summer as a chaperone. This was a big deal for me. I was really nervous. My social anxiety was 
crazy. Um, thank God he has really helped me with that. But at the time we, um, we got to hear the young Matt Chandler preach at youth camp. Now, you know, he's, he's pretty famous now, but I had never heard of him. And then the next year, David Platt was the featured speaker. He was also a, a young preacher that was on the rise. Um, and I found their sermons very exciting. It was uh, like going to a revival. And, you know, that's pretty common for that to happen at youth camp. And really, I was like, even though I was, you know, uh, how old was I? In my 40s, I felt like a teenager, you know, at that youth camp. I was really very immature spiritually. So I had, I feel like I had to go through all this stuff and to become more of a mature Christian. So then around 2008, 2009, which was some, was probably around the same year that I went to youth camp. Um, our Sunday school class studied Bodie Bauckham's ever loving truth, which really blew my mind because I liked the idea of absolute truth. I didn't want anything to be relativistic or unclear. And that's the, the way our world was trending. However, Bodie Bauckham was reformed and um, some of the other people in our Sunday school class, they were... Um, they were traditional Baptists. They weren't reformed. And so I was, I became aware of this difference of, a, of, you know, doctrine. And I was confused because I thought these people knew more than me about the Bible, but I really liked what I was hearing and it made sense to me. So I had to really dive deep and, you know, I, I believe that God is sovereign and that he was leading me along this path. That's my belief. I don't think I was just making this, you know, figuring this out on my own. I really don't. So I started learning new words like tulip and predestination and reformed and Arminian, you know, Arminian and heresy. And I started learning a lot about false teachers and reading controversies over the Holy Spirit and his work in us and discovering that premillennialism was not the only interpretation of the last times. And I learned about dispensationalism, which, you know, that's what I had been raised believing, but I never knew there was a name for it. And I found out that reform people generally were not dispensationalist, at least, I don't know. I, I, I just found out that not, not everyone was a dispensationalist. I discovered um, Charles Spurgeon. I discovered Calvin. I discovered Luther. And so I was like, really like, just like reading everything and most of it seemed to fit into what I had already believed, even though I had never really defined it clearly in my mind. 
but there were some new things and um, some of it clashed with, with what I had been taught. And I was, I was kind of disturbed by, by this debating over the Bible amongst Christians. But I was like, well, you know, I need to learn these things and I need to pick a side, right? And then I discovered Watchman Nee, who, who was a Chinese Christian. And, it, you know, he, his teachings were more spiritual, but they also were, you know, kind of went along with some of the things I was reading. So I, I struggled with free will and um, the idea that some people couldn't be saved. And, and, you know, are we so dead that we can't even, I mean, how does this work? How does this fit in with John 3.16? I was raised on John 3.16. Whoever believes in Jesus is going to be saved and knocking the door will be opened. And, um, you know, God doesn't want anyone to perish and all those verses, right? But then I started reading Romans. <laughs> Evidently, I had never been taught some of the stuff in that Paul wrote in Romans. And I actually kind of didn't like it. I was like, uh, I don't know if I like Paul. And I, and I, you know, it took me a long time to, to see that even though Paul's, the way Paul writes is kind of hard to read. What he's saying is, is like super perfect. I mean, it's, it's got to be from Jesus because it totally coincides with what Jesus said about himself. It just, it's just very like high level stuff. So I'm going to skip over. If you want to read the long version of this, go to my blog, blueskiesandgreenpastures.com and look for the latest post. Click on that and it'll be the first post that pops up. Uh, and this is on January 25th, 2023. So in case you're listening to this sometime in the future. So I, I also started to struggle with the idea that some of my favorite preachers, such as the late, great Adrian Rogers, were not considered reformed by some of my reformed friends. And, and I was like, maybe these people are too picky. You know, I, I have always been someone that ha has been able to see kind of both sides of an argument and, and kind of see myself as a peacemaker um, but then on the other hand, I'm also, I can be very argumentative as well. And I can fight over, you know, details, but I, I think my, the stronger side of me is that I, I like peace and I want unity. And so then I started reading articles about how, you know, Jesus wanted unity. And I, so I was just really digging into the Bible and I was reading all these different opinions. And I, then I also read that you shouldn't even read Bible study books. You should only read the Bible. <laughs> so I did more Bible reading and less Bible study book reading. But 
eventually I saw that there was going to be things that people are going to argue about until Jesus returns because the Bible is just not that clear on a few things. And, and even more important is that Christians can argue amongst themselves, but when you're talking to an unbeliever, you have to be, you have to stick to the gospel because there are some, there's something called essentials and non-essentials. And I, that was new to me. So this was an important thing that I learned. And so what are the essentials? Well, I, I think the essentials are that God is real. He exists and he is active, actively uh, interacting with us people. And I believe that sin changed the world and that we were all condemned. All people were condemned. And I believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God. So those, those are some of the essentials. But when it comes down to salvation, I think it was it's very important to distinguish between law and grace. The Jews were given the law. Moses was given the law. And when Jesus came, he gave us grace. Boy, my rooster is really crowing out there. I'm wondering if y'all can hear it. But I'm going to take a quick break to take a drink of water while you listen to this ad from Anchor. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Okay, I'm back. So if I was so into Reformed theology, how did I end up attending a Methodist church? Well, back when we left the Methodist church, I mean, we, we left the Baptist church because our two preachers both left right at the same time. And it kind of threw the church into, you know, a weird place. And after a while, we got a new preacher. And this was during the time that I was really studying Reformed theology. And I, I just wasn't happy with the Bible studies that were that the whole church was going to be using. And, and I don't know, you know, if I made the right decision or not, but we left that church over theology, doctrine. However, we soon discovered that there were not any reformed churches in our area. And that meant that we would have to drive a, a very long way to go to church. And, and my husband really didn't want to spend his whole Sunday driving back and forth. 
And, you know, I didn't either. And because, you know, at that time, our kids were still pretty young. And, you know, we had a wheelchair van that didn't work very good. And this was before we got the Toyota. So it, it was just, it was too hard. We couldn't do it. We were too stressed out. And so we just stopped going to church. <clears throat> now, we, I just want to say that I hope there's no hard feelings with any of my old church friends because I so love all the people there. You know, it really was a doctrinal thing for me. So anyway, we visited a few Lutheran churches and a few uh, sort of, I think, I think we went to a, a non-denominational. Oh yeah, we went to a non-denominational church, but some of them were like super small and we were like, they, we didn't just didn't feel like that was what we wanted. And the Lutheran ones, they just felt really different. They felt very like Catholic <laughs> and it's just too different from what we were used to. But I really missed going to church and I missed the worship and I missed being part of a church family. And I wanted to find a church where I felt that people um, had correct doctrine, but they, but also they, they lived it out. They really lived it out. And I started, I was already going to this Methodist church for Bible study, but it wasn't part of the Methodist church. It was community Bible study, but I was at the building. I was in this building and, and I had visited this church a few times. And it was nice. I liked it. And I was like, you know what? I want to go to church and I'm going to, I'm just going to start going there. And this was, um, I, I also had a very good friend. Hi, Missy, who was teaching Sunday school. And I was like, you know, even if I don't like the sermons, I can go to Sunday school. And for a while, sometimes I only went to Sunday school. And I didn't go to the sermons, but eventually I started going to both. And even my family started to go with me occasionally, but for a long time, it was mostly just me going. My, my husband had kind of withdrawn from the church and, you know, he wasn't really sure what he wanted to do, but long story short, both of us actually joined the church and we are very happy about it. And we're very, we're regularly attending now. Praise God. So, but how did I reconcile my, you know, my desire for correct doctrine? Well, it, I discovered that the, the preacher was, his sermons were, were not, you know, doctrinally wrong. You know, I wasn't hearing anything that disturbed me. Um, we did have a youth pastor that I felt was possibly crossing the line occasionally. But basically, this church is very conservative. And I I felt like, you know, the, the worship felt so good. And, the you know, I just, I didn't, I prayed about it a lot. And nothing was, you know, bothering my spirit. In fact, I got a lot of spirit confirmations. Those are little like God moments where 
I would like start thinking about a subject and then I would go to church and that was what the sermon would be on. So I felt like God was saying, keep, you know, stay the course, stick with this church. This is the place I want you. And so that's where I'm at right now. So back, okay, part two. Why do I believe that the, that the Bible teaches that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone? Well, because that is what the Bible says. <laughs> and, you know, it says it in many places and in many ways. And it is, it is the gospel. Salvation by grace alone is the good news. The good news is that Jesus provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. What the law could not do, grace provided. Jesus came to save us. And that is by grace alone. So I want to talk about the word grace. Grace, a lot of people say grace is um, being, um, getting something good, you know, that you don't deserve. And that mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. In other words, mercy means God, God doesn't punish you. And grace is when God blesses you. Well, I, I think that grace is more than that. It's that, but it's also God's goodness. God's grace is his goodness towards us. It's his goodness coming out because God is everything good. It's his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his love, his His uh mercy it's everything is grace and when we when we need help the bible says that he will give us more grace in other words he gives us more of him so that we can continue surviving in this world so our life is through god's grace we live in god's grace that's, that's kind of what being born again is about, is that we're no longer living in our own sin. We're living in God's grace. And it's just such an amazing thing that when I fully grasped it, I, it made me so thankful that God loved me that much. And that, you know, that it, I was like, oh, yes, this is what salvation is. It's not being a church member, going to church, trying to be good, trying to prove to God that I'm good enough to get into heaven. No, that's not how you get saved. However, what about works? People love to talk about works, including my Catholic friend. And I, and I love this guy. He's, he's a very, um, he's a good Christian. Like he's a good person. He does like meals on wheels. He's very involved in the pro-life movement. 
He sings in the choir, plays the guitar. He's in the Knights of Columbus. He does a lot of good volunteering in the name of his church, right? Um, but I don't know if he understands, really understands salvation. Because based on what he wrote to me, I, I don't really think he does. So Richard, if you're listening to this, oops, <laughs> I said your name. Uh, I hope that, that this will make sense to you. Because what the Bible teaches about sin and salvation is what we need to know. And one thing that you said uh, was that you thought that Luther had added this to the Bible. But no, this is even in the Catholic Bible. So I'm going to read to you what the Catholic Bible says about grace. And this is in Ephesians chapter 2, which is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says very clearly that we are saved by grace. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, for it is a gift of God. And this is not of works, so that no one may glory. I mean, that says it all. You can read it in all of the versions, in all the different translations. We're saved by grace. And that was because there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. And, and do we have to um, prove that we, that we believe in Jesus? Well, kind of, yes. You know, that comes down to the fruits of the Spirit. And Jesus said, you know, you'll know them by their fruits. So if, if someone is really doing evil things, it's not wrong to question if they're saved or not. But if someone is really good... Can we still question if they're saved or not? Unfortunately, yes, because it's possible for atheists to do a lot of good deeds. And um, even, you know, cult members often do a lot of good deeds, but they're not saved by those good deeds. So it is a combination of what you believe. I mean, what you believe matters most. And then we do good works because we love God. <laughs> so the good works are an extension of our faith. Some people do a lot of good works. Some people do few good works. But, you know, there should be some outward proof that that we care what God thinks and that we honor God with our lives. And immature Christians, they might do tons of good works or they may not even be aware what, what works means. So it's everyone is on their own Christian walk. They're, everyone has to learn, you know, what does God want me to do? By studying the Bible, that's why Bible study is so important, not just listening to sermons. Because look at all the things that I didn't know. <laughs> I thought I was a Christian. 
I thought I was, you know, doing the right thing, but I didn't really understand grace. So I, I think I was, as the reform people say, I was regenerated when I was a child, but I don't, you know, I didn't really understand my own faith. So God wanted me to understand it because the way I was living, I was kind of a hypocrite and I wasn't a very nice Christian. I was judgmental. I was, you know, I don't know, prideful. I was very prideful. It was bad. So when you really understand grace, it humbles you and it makes you less judgmental, more compassionate. And that is the definitely something that came from me learning about the Reformed faith is I became more compassionate. Now, some people don't, and there's something called a cage stage. And I wrote about that in the blog if you want to read it. And there's also some funny memes. So in closing, as I continue on my journey as a pilgrim, I know that God will, will continue to teach me new things through the, the Holy Spirit and through the Bible. And I'm not saying that I'm already, you know, even Paul said, I'm, I'm not saying that I've already attained it. He wasn't saying that he wasn't saved. He was just saying that he wasn't, you know, perfect and he wasn't going to be perfect because he was, he had to fight his flesh just like I do. But, um, I think God had other plans for me and I, you know, kind of left the online Christian debates for the most part because I saw that there was not going to be a resolution over, you know, People who, people who do, who don't believe in grace are, God's going to have to change their hearts. And, you know, maybe someone will listen to this and maybe God will use this to change their hearts. I don't know. But just like fighting over it, I, I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to fight with my fellow Christians because God tells me not to do that. And I want to be an ambassador. I want to reconcile people to God. I want people to know that God loves them. That God, yes, he's holy and he's going to judge the world. That is important. But on an individual basis, God wants to save you. God cares about you. God is not a mean abusive, uh, child abuser, like some of the progressive Christians have tried to paint him as recently. So my journey into the battlefield of theology wars was exciting and humbling. God taught me a lot about myself. I now trust that God really does love me and he can bring me home safely to him despite my failings, despite when I fail. The awesome thing is that when I fail and confess my sins, I, I really believe now that he forgives me. I don't have to live in fear. And I, that's, the, that's the sad thing about all other religions 
is if they're not based on grace, then you can't really know if you are forgiven or not. You can't really know if you're going to heaven or not because it's based on works. But I believe that the gospel teaches that we are not saved by works. We're saved by Jesus's death on the cross. And I kind of skipped over that um, part. Let me read what Paul said um, in Romans. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Big words, important words, justification, redemption, propitiation. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance that he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting, says Paul? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So if you've never studied the book of Romans, it's pretty complicated. And I suggest, you know, you do study it, but just be prepared that it's not easy. So you might want to, you know, just start out by reading a different translation. For example, the Message Bible, which is not, you know, always doctrinally 100% correct. So I wouldn't let that be your only Bible. But you could read the verses I just read, and it says it like this. God has set things right. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, he was talking about Jews and Gentiles, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Did what? He saved us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. He reconciled us. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, which is condemnation, and restored us to where he has always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. So, as you can see, this is the gospel. Romans is in the gospel. That's why Romans is often used in Bible tracts and other, you know, evangelical. Uh, preaching because Paul lays it out 
So no, Luther did not add being saved by grace to the Bible. It's just that um, the Catholic Church has added a lot of things to their doctrine that some people believe are part of the gospel but aren't. I mean, yes, keep on doing good works, but just don't think that those are going to save you and don't fear not doing enough good works. Be saved by grace. Be free. Be free. Jesus came to set us free. Free from death. Free from fear of death. Fear of hell. And that's what legalism, legalism, which is works, legalism keeps people in fear. All other religions are legalist religions, even though they talk about Jesus, they talk about, you know, they use the Bible, they add works to it. But I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I don't believe that Jesus came and said, follow the law. He didn't. So I hope this explains why I love grace and why I believe that I am saved by grace. And if you want to read the even longer background story, and there's lots of links and there's more information about the gospel and the things that I learn. You know, you can check that out on my blog. But as usual, the podcast, you know, is a little bit different. So anyway, God bless you. And thank you for listening to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. And if you know someone that you think might benefit from this particular episode, please share it with them and, you know, maybe we can set someone free from legalism and give them the glorious freedom in Christ that those of us experience who understand grace. Bye now and see you on the battlefield. Thank you.